So we're still going through the book of Ephesians. I think we're about five months into it, and we are um, just crossing the line into the final chapter of the book. And we've been noting in these weeks how Ephesians can be divided into two halves, the first three chapters and then the second three chapters. Um, the first half has to do with theology or doctrine, and the second half with ethics or devotion. The first half with the unsurpassable riches of God's love for us, and the second half with the shape of our love for God himself. And in Ephesians chapter 5 last week, as we we're kind of nearing the end of 5, and now this week getting into chapter 6, Paul starts to get really specific about how the gospel that he has been proclaiming, the, the riches and the lavishness and the abundance of the gospel, which is the language he uses throughout Ephesians, how it transforms uh, our very human and earthly relationships. And there are three relationships in particular that he's highlighting for us. It's the marriage relationship, husbands and wives. It's the family relationship of parents and children. And then it's the employment relationship of masters and servants. These in the ancient world would have been your like staple household relationships. And there would have been lots of instruction given by numerous wise teachers and sages about how to manage the affairs of one's household. And the reason wasn't just so that you could have a nice, peaceful domestic life, although that is a perk if that's something the Lord's given you. But the reason is that um, there was this ancient conviction going all the way back to Aristotle that the, the family, the home, is the basic building unit of society. So if you want to have a good and ordered and flourishing society for everybody, then you've got to start with a good and ordered and flourishing family unit. And so it was common in that time to give instructions for these different relationships within the household code. And so that's why we saw last week that Paul talked about marriage, and now this week he talks about this parent-child dynamic. He assumes that these relationships are important, but then the way he talks about them, the way he contextualizes them within the kingdom of God, brings about this inner transformation that would have been shining as a bright light in the ancient world. So as we come to this passage, we come expecting for God, for God to teach us something about what it means to be parent and what it means to be child in his kingdom. But even as I just say that, I, I kind of realize myself, the second I use the word parent, <laughs> I mean, let alone the word father, um, all the connotations and emotions and even experiences, like concrete lived stories and experiences that probably are rising into our hearts and minds. Uh, the, the second, um, I, I even use the word children, a whole host of experiences coming to mind. I mean, just thinking briefly of our congregation, I, I, and, and even just of the, ch the church more broadly, there, there are people that wish they, they had kids and always thought they would and don't. There are people that really long to have children, and, and when they got married, maybe they struggled with infertility for a long time, and, and that, came, that didn't come to fruition. Or, or maybe it did come to fruition, and they finally had kids after this long search, and the experience of being a parent was grueling and disappointing. And we could go up and down about the different experiences that people have had of both parents and of children. I know there's a lot of people in our community right now who, or not a lot of people, but a, a few people who have lost children in recent months and years. Um, even lost parents. 
those that still have children, and yet that relationship with that child has never turned out to be what they had hoped it would be. It's still broken in profound ways. Or those that have parents, and yet that relationship with that parent has never turned out to be exactly what they longed for it to be. And so there's just this realization that I think we want to acknowledge right up front, is that when we come to a passage and we hear words like obey parents and fathers train your children, there's all these emotive associations and responses that arise in us. And that's like the sort of baggage, I said this last week, that you don't check in the door. You don't check that baggage at the door. You bring that baggage right up to the altar. <laughs> and, and you say, Lord, um, like the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will, will you consider me and answer me? And, and then you say, Lord, would your grace reign even in that place and even that part of my life as well? So as we come to this, we say, Lord, would you speak to us afresh through your word? And one of the things that I think is helpful in hearing each one of these household relationships is recontextualizing it every time that we hear it. In what context is Paul speaking this? And the key every time is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul says, walk not as unwise, but as wise. And what's going to give you the power and the wisdom to walk that way in your life? It's be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says in verse 18. And what's it going to look like? What are the expressions of the Holy Spirit going to look like in your community when you are filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and what we see is um, encouragement. We see a community of encouragement, a community of worship, and a community, Paul says in verse 21, of mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so one of the things that I think Paul wants us to do right away is see that family, according to the way he's talking about it here, is situated within the larger context of the church family, or the domestic household is situated within the larger context of the household of God. And, and this does a couple things for us, I think, right away. Uh, it does a few things for us. The first is that it, it reminds us that children, because Paul addresses children here, are meant to be a visible and vital part of the Christian community. Children are meant to be a visible and vital part of the Christian community. Paul just assumes that those that have gathered for worship those that are longing to hear the word of God, that are actually reading his letter out loud and listening to it, that there are going to be children in the midst there, and that God wants to speak to children as well. And so there's this sense, even in Paul's implicit addressing of children, that children are not like to be marginalized, they're not to be babysat, they're not to be entertained. Children are to be with the people of God, worshiping and saying, yes, I want to hear the word of the Lord. So the first thing we see just in that is that children are vital to the church. And I think one of the second things that we see from this context is that families need the support of the church for the ministry and the vocation that God has given them. Paul assumes that families are going to thrive when they're embedded in a spirit-filled context and in the community of Christ. That's the context that they're meant to be in. I think that's one of the reasons why our baptismal liturgies, when it kind of says, you know, says to the parents, says to the godparents, says to the candidates, do you want to be baptized? Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? 
It then turns to the community, the whole church, and says, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to uphold these persons in their faith? It's, it's a line that we see in the marriage liturgy as well, because it's acknowledging within our act of worship that marriage itself and then the family, the parent-child relationship itself cannot be sustained, it cannot be supported unless it is surrounded by the community of grace that is going to weep with them, that is going to rejoice with them, that is going to share this vocation with them. So not only are children vital, but families have to be embedded within and surrounded by. And third and finally, when children are vital and families are embedded and surrounded by, then the parent-child relationship takes on a new dynamic. It takes on the dynamic of a discipleship relationship or a formation relationship or an apprenticeship relationship. And I think that's how Paul is kind of recontextualizing this household code. He's, he's re-envisioning the parent-child relationship in terms primarily of spiritual formation. And so you see this right away when you get in there with uh, Paul's instructions or his wisdom to children. He recasts obedience to parents, honoring father and mother as a form of spiritual formation. Um, one of the things I love about kids is they'll, they'll be really honest with you up front about uh, how they actually don't like this. <laughs> this is actually a difficult thing. So, so there was, we have a couple funny stories from our, our own um, kids the, uh, in worship lately. Is there, was, um, there was one kid a few weeks ago who they do these I wonder questions after you hear one of the stories, you tell one of the stories uh, from the scriptures and you have these I wonder questions. And it helps you draw the children into inhabiting the story, not just as a story out there, but as a story that is your own. Your, your own story is embedded within it. And, and I think it might have been Trevecca or someone else who was like saying, I wonder if, if, if there's any ways in which we need to be forgiven. And uh, I think one of the kids who tends to be a little bit rambunctious kind of stared off into the distance with a serious look and he said, oh, I've done a lot of things in my life. <laughs> he's, he's only like six years old, so. <laughs> and then it was, uh, I also heard another story, it's just a couple, a couple weeks ago that um, somebody was, was teaching on the Ten Commandments and got, got to the Fifth Commandment, which actually Paul quotes here in verses two and three, and was about, you know, honoring your father and mother. And, and one of the kids was like, oh, I really struggle with that one. <laughs> My mom's always asking me to clean up my stuff. <laughs> so I just love how they're honest about that. See, at the heart of the word obey here is this sense in Greek of listening to. Holding someone's words is weighty in your life so that they give shape to who you are and how you inhabit the world. It assumes that the person's words are trustworthy and have integrity. And then the word that Paul places right next to it for uh, honor has the sense of valuing something or someone, considering something valuable. So when you place these two together, as Paul talks about, what he's getting at is you value this person, and so their words hold weight in your life. And it's also a call on parents to be somebody whose lives and words are worth holding as weighty. And so Paul says to children, um, 
Obey your parents in the Lord. Like, don't see this as just a matter of you kind of rote, blind obedience to their authority over you. But see this as an opportunity for you to actually learn humility in being shaped into the likeness and the image of Christ himself. And, and so Paul presses this home a little bit further because I think what this is getting at is what is the goal of obedience or what is the goal of honoring your father and mother? And Paul quotes the, the fifth commandment here. He, he says in verse two, honor your father and mother. And then he kind of interrupts his quote and he says, for this is the first commandment with a promise. And if you read the Ten Commandments, there's a little debate over this, but, but it seems that most of them don't have a positive promise attached to them. And so this is actually really unique. And Paul points this out, and he says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So notice, Paul is reinforcing this, this call for children to obey their parents, not by a threat, but by a promise. And the promise actually has to do primarily with children not with the authority of the parents, actually. So authority is implied here. But, but listen to what Paul says. He says that it may go well with you. And the language here, the, the Greek verb, is actually one of becoming, of something entering into being. And, and then he says that you may live, may live long in the land. And, and a better way to translate it, you may be long lived in the land. The Greek verb is one of being. So Paul is stating the purpose here. Of, of this obeying and this honoring in the Lord, and he's saying it's, it's to become a certain sort of person, and, and it's to be in a certain way in relation to God and to others and to the world. In other words, uh, this command to obey and honor is less about you just blindly obeying the authority of the parents, even though they have authority, and it's much more about how is Christ shaping you into a particular sort of person through your relationship with your parent. And then when Paul gets to parents, he picks up on this theme a bit. He goes, okay, if, if, if children are gonna be oriented this way towards parents, then parents need to be oriented towards children in a particular way. And the word that's translated fathers here could include fathers or mothers, although it's a different word than the Paul, one Paul uses in verse one for parents, which is why most people think Paul's specifying fathers here in particular. And, and so he says, fathers, and there's a negative and a positive thing, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not irritate them. <laughs> do not frustrate them. Um, do not make them feel stifled. And then he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. That word is a nurturing word. It's the exact same word that Paul uses in chapter 5, verse 29, when he talks about Christ gave himself for the church, and he nourishes and cherishes the church. And so also the husband is to give himself for the wife and nourish and cherish the church. And so that language of nourishing is what is being used here by Paul. And, and so the image here is of a child that wants to, in a sense, obey and honor their parents and allow their words to be weighty in their life because the child wants to become a certain sort of person, <laughs> wants to be formed in the Lord. And then the parents are, the, are aligned with those purposes. 
and they are somebody who wants to parent and companion with their child in such a way that instructs them in the ways of the Lord. And so right away you get the sense that being a parent is not just about arbitrary will and power trips and getting your own way and just doing whatever you want and shaping your child in your own image. I mean, I think about that sometimes myself with my, with my daughter. I'm like, you know, I, um, I read this book this last week called The Mystery of Children. It's a really good book by somebody named Mike Mason. And um, he, he does a book where he, he does one chapter for each six months of his child's life from, from zero to 13. <laughs> and the chapter on three and a half is called The Strong-Willed Child. And his basic premise is, I wonder if the strong-willed child is actually a question of the strong-willed parent sometimes. Um, and he presses into that a little bit. He says, because often as parents, when we think about it, are we really willing to change and be formed in the ways that we are asking our children to be changed and formed? Somebody else once said that children have an integrity radar just like they have a hypocrisy radar. <laughs> Authority without integrity is not transformational. Authority without integrity is not transformational. And it's that notion of integrity that the word Paul uses actually for some translations it's discipline, some it's training. Is, is really important. It's, it's the Greek word paideia. It, it, it's an educational word, but it means like moral and relational educational more than it means just merely intellectual educational. Um, so the Germans are great because the Germans have lots of words for lots of things. And so the Germans have different words for education, right? They have this word Wissenschaft, which is just a, a word for scientific inquiry and methodology. So it's, it's a going about seeking to gain knowledge with certain forms of testing so that you can get results with certain forms of certitude and rationality. And then there's this other word they have called Bildung, which is a really great word. And that has more the notion of you are being formed into a particular sort of person that relates and inhabits the world in a particular sort of way. It's this moral, spiritual, formational character dynamic. And in Greek, the word that's used here is the same sort of thing. It's not something that can be done just by downloading information on your children. It's something that has to be done in life on life, lived reality. You're, you have to be present to your children. Um, they have to know you. And they have to see you seeking to inhabit the same virtues and the same way of being in the world that you are verbally commending to them as being good and for their flourishing and for their nurture in the Lord himself. So, so that's the image that Paul gives us of, of this um, parent-child relationship, Par children who want to be formed in the Lord <laughs> and parents who want to form their children in the Lord. It's a beautiful image. But as so often is the case, we see the beautiful vision and then what we experience in our lives and what we see at work in our own families and what we see in the world is, is just so broken. It's so painful. There's resentment and there's bitterness 
and there's betrayal that kids feel in relation to their parents. There's shame and there's inadequacy and there's regret that parents feel towards their kids. And not to mention like all the added pressures and divisions and fractures that COVID has caused. I mean, it's amazing to me how many, how many families I've talked to in the season where the politics of the season has divided marriages. The politics of the season has divided parent from child. And one of the things that we realize is that living into the Pauline vision of family requires being surrounded by the Pauline gospel of grace. Parents and children alike have to be reminded of chapter 4, verse 31. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. About a year ago, um, Annabelle was taking so long to get out of the car that I thought I was going to pull my hair out. It, it was just one of those moments where I was like, this has been a long day, and, and this is really infuriating. It takes one step to get out of the car, and we've been here for 15 minutes, and I'm losing my coal, you know, and I just, and, and I raised my voice, and I got, I got angry. I was like, this is not, this is not okay. And I yelled at her to get out of the car, and uh, don't look at me like you've never yelled before because I know you. you know? <laughs> well, let's, not, let's not joke or let's not kid ourselves here. And just a week earlier, I had been talking with my spiritual director about the things that, that actually in the process of disciplining my parents and I mean my parents, my, my, my kids, the, the things that were actually coming up in me. Um, because one of the questions I always ask myself is what motivates my instruction and my discipline for my children? Is it a sense of just feeling powerless because they haven't listened to my word and that makes me feel insignificant? Is it fear that if they don't listen to me, they'll turn out other than what I think is good and right and just? Or is this really about their good? <laughs> and that, that, those questions are searching to bring up a lot of things. And so I was talking to my spiritual director about some of these things. and. And he kind of reassured me. He said, you know, your, your kids probably aren't looking for perfection. They're probably looking for humility. And you may be surprised, they may understand the gospel better than you do sometimes. And, and so it was interesting, after this happened, you know, about an hour later, I went up to Annabelle and I just said, Annabelle, I, I need to tell you, I need to confess to you, that was wrong. That was not okay. That was, that's what we call sin. You should have gotten out of the car 15 minutes earlier, but daddy should not have talked to you like that, you know. Will you forgive me? And there was this amazing nonverbal moment. I was on my knees, and she just kneeled her forehead against mine, just leaned her forehead against mine. And we just observed silence for about 45 seconds. At the end of which she said, I love you, Daddy. It's made me wonder if the way forward often is not a stronger assertion of authority, but a deeper posture of humility. If maybe formation of children into Christ's likeness requires the formation of parents 
into childlikeness. Because I think it was Jesus himself who said in our gospel reading, I tell you, unless you change and, and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I've been getting to wonder, would the Lord make us a people? Would the Lord make us a community that is humble enough to embrace children? A community that is humble enough to welcome children and to serve children and to rejoice in children and maybe even become like children so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, a lot of parents come away from passages like this just feeling a deep sense of shame. I don't live up to this, and, and I failed, and I'm really aware of it, and, and maybe I feel like it's too late. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids that come away from a passage like this and was like, man, I wish I had a parent that did that. And what the Lord is saying is he's saying, you know what? All of that experience, I see it. I know it. I've heard it. And I'm surrounding the whole thing with my kingdom. I'm surrounding the whole thing with my grace. So my brothers and sisters, it's a joy to be in this with you. And I pray that you would know this week, this deep sense that from eternity past, God not only called you, but Ephesians 1 says, he predestined you to be adopted as children in the beloved to the praise of his glorious grace. And whether you're a parent or a child or both, may you rest in that this week. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.